Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. And today I've got a fabulous guest for you. Um, a man who travels the world all the time and I believe has just come back from somewhere lovely like the Dominican Republic. So looking out the window at the grey skies, not at all uh, not at all jealous. He started his life uh, in Australia, studied at uh, La Trobe University, um, studied economics, um, and then left like a lot of us wondering what to do with himself. So he became a, well, he started mending pallets at Coca-Cola before progressing on to washing bottles. Uh, he's done a number of different things in his life, having spent a little bit of time uh, as a commission-based insurance salesman and then running a very successful and then suddenly not successful car rental business in Brisbane during the World uh, Expo, which lasted a good eight months. He then came across something called Trade Exchange uh, and having worked with one business, building that and selling his shares through IPO, he set up his own or chapter of a new business in 2014 under the BBX brand in the UK and Ireland, which is now a multi-million pound operation running in 14 different countries. He delivers keynote speeches at congresses and conferences and exhibitions around the world. His topics include most things to do with founding, growing and exiting business, as well as money, sales and franchising. He also has a massive love of travel and of cricket, so he can't be a bad guy. Please welcome John Attridge. John, hi, how are you? Good morning, James. Pleasure to be with you today. Uh, and where are you? Because I know you travel a lot. Are you, are you back in the UK now? Yes, just got back yesterday uh, from the sunny Dominican Republic at 30-odd degrees every day. And... Uh, Got greeted by constant rainstorms when I got back into Gatwick <laughs> yesterday, but uh, fortunately uh, we were able to get the plane back before this uh, pilots uh, strike. Which, talking about pilot strikes, they're they're on today and tomorrow. So the plane was absolutely full coming back. Well, that's um, yeah, I could imagine it's uh, one of those things that happens now and then, and it's happened to you in the past, hasn't it? Because you had your car rental business running in Brisbane. Um, and extremely well for a little while, then the pilots went on strike. Is that is that the story I remember? Yeah, so in essence, back in 1988, people might remember World Expo, World Trade Expo, where all the countries come together under one roof in a giant uh, pavilion, as it was in Brisbane then. Went on for over uh, six months uh, right. there. People were going in and out every day, and we had a car rental operation, and it was based in the Gold Coast, uh, Brisbane and Sunshine Coast, and we had all these brand new, lovely Mazda cars like uh, one two one Fun Tops and one two one three two three six two six MX fives, uh, traveller vans. So lovely to get about in, and and our only problem was getting people to form an orderly queue with with renting them because right. we had right. we had over a hundred percent occupancy 
for an eight month period. So the period of the, period of the expo on a month either side. Um, so during that time, I thought money, making money was that easy. That why doesn't everybody do it? <laughs> yeah, and then it comes crashing down. Correct. So a year later, all the pilots in Australia decided to go on strike, and this is every commercial pilot uh, in Australia, and that strike lasted uh, for five months. Hmm. So my problem then became not not uh, not cars, but where to park them. Right. So uh, I remember one month we rented one car for one day. That was our total right. revenue. Okay. So okay, because all our customers were inbound tourists, and yep. they were yep. all flying in, most of them. So, um, you know, we had uh, massive issues on what we were going to do. Uh, we had all our overhead that was uh, constant every every month, which included things like uh, uh, wages and our rents and our leasing of our cars. So all our constant costs or fixed overhead was, was there, whether or not we made any revenue at all. So having, uh, having no revenue coming in, you know, we spent just about all the money that we earned the previous year. Gee, and a hell of a business lesson, I guess, in hindsight. Yeah, business went from this is the easiest thing I've ever done to, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? So, you know, we had desperate and destitute, we were at the time, and that's where we came across the idea of a trade exchange, uh-huh. which, is, which in essence was a group of business people um, that got together and traded with our own unit of currency, a little bit like the modern-day PayPal, Right. But with but within a group of businesses, so the the group started with fifty businesses on the Gold Coast, so the car rental company and some printers and hotels and restaurants and a cleaning rag sales company and repair company. You know, there was a mixture of different businesses, mm-hmm. and that was in um, in September of uh, nineteen eighty nine, and uh, uh, that's grown to where I've ended up today at BBX with over a hundred thousand businesses in fourteen countries. Fantastic. So, so is is it? Tell me a bit more about how that works. Is it a kind of a barter thing? I I need a printer. Uh, you're a printer. You need what I do, and we agree the the exchange between us. So the concept of cashless digital trading is the same, mm-hmm. yep. except but in a barter situation, you trade a car rental for, let's say, a mechanic. Yeah. So, but you have to have a car that's worth, let's say, it's two hundred pounds to repair the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you first of all have to find the the uh, uh, the mechanic that wants to rent a car for the same value, mm-hmm. or at the same time, or one holds a credit against the other. So it's very messy. Yeah. So if, so if you think the reason money was invented, uh, pound sterling as we know it here in the UK, was to avoid the need for direct exchange of goods and services for goods and services at the same time at the same value. Right. So we we operate what we call is a BBX digital trade credit. So if you looked in your bank account today, you would see a number mm-hmm. on a piece of paper digitally on a, online in your statement. Yeah. So, so if you went to your online banking, you'd see a number that's sitting there representing your balance. You would see purchases. You would see sales. If you had a line of credit, it would include that. So just like a, you know, a normal bank statement, that's what ours looks like. But in uh-huh. our own digital trade credit, which is pegged to the pound here in the UK, so if I sold £100 worth of car rental, I'd now, in, in the BBX platform, I'd have 100 BBX pounds sitting in my BBX account that I then can spend uh, anywhere with any customer, anywhere in the BBX uh, uh, world. Okay. 
But it's so it still works in the same way though. What I would invoice or does it? Tell me how it'll work because it's it, I, I, it sounds very clever. What's the what's the advantage to to a business using that sort of platform instead of just spending money? Yeah. So um, we focus on the spare capacity element of any business. So in my car rental business during World Expo, I would not have been participating on the platform. I can still buy things, but I wouldn't have had any ability to make any more sales. Right. So, But when the pilot's dispute was on, I was still purchasing like everybody does. Your checkbook never takes a holiday. Yeah. Um, but I had cars or revenue that I could have uh, crystallised and monetized that was sat around in the driveway or in a storage facility. And once that day finished, I could never recoup that revenue ever again. And so what uh, BBX does is focus on trying to sell by working together the spare capacity opportunity of any business. So for a car rental company, that's a car that hasn't been rented today. For a hotel, a hotel room that hasn't uh, been sold. A retailer, it's a piece of stock that's still on the shelf. For a mechanic, it's it's a time slot. Um, for a dentist, same sort of, uh, similar sort of thing. So it varies as to what you do in business, but the simple answer is, you know, could I book you out, uh, either you or your inventory, uh, for more this month? And if the answer is yes, then you've got spare capacity. So the next right. question is, what are you doing with it? And so if you had had the answer, you would have done something about it already, presumably. Yep, yep. So so we get together. I list you on my platform a little bit like Yell.com. So you get a, um, you get a listing on the platform. We have uh, a marketplace a little bit like eBay people that have you know x amount of stock and you have an account manager network that works with every single business so without with through one of those formats you sell some of your spare capacity so someone on the platform rings up and says hey i'd like to rent a car have you got one on the saturday the 15th yes i have i'd like to rent it for a day yep fine how much is it it's normally 50 pounds yep that's fine What's your BBX number? It's it, and there's a 16-digit number. They hand that over. I make the booking. It goes into my books the same way. Uh, I've now have 50 BBX pounds instead of a car that would have been sat around. So, right, okay. Getting back to the advantage of that, if I didn't have any revenue prior to BBX, and I now got 50 pounds, I've got a new customer mm-hmm. and 50 pounds worth of BBX money that didn't cost me 50 pounds to earn because right. none of my fixed costs went up. So to rent a car that would have been sat around on the driveway, it's the fee to the exchange, and typically that's 65 to 15%, depending on what account you have, and that's in sterling, mm-hmm. but based on any sales you make on the sale value. So I've now earned that £50, and if I now go and spend that £50 on, um, on, on doing, say, a restaurant meal or what have you, mm-hmm. um, uh, then how much did the restaurant meal cost me? If I hand over £50 sterling, it cost me £50. But by uh, handing over 50 BBX pounds that only cost me maybe 10 or 20 to earn, then I'm getting a discount equivalent to my gross margin on, on what, a, what would have been a, uh, a vacant opportunity in the first place. Oh, okay. that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a so, lot of so sense. So take, yeah. take your speaking uh, career as, a, as an example. Mm-hmm. So, so you get paid to go and do gigs. You know, if, if I said to you, James, um, uh, would would you uh, have any room next month to do another gig in addition to what you've been booked for? Yeah. Would the answer be yes or no? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so unfortunately, there's always a bit of capacity in most businesses, isn't there? Yep. So I know your normal rate for a gig is probably five thousand pounds, and so uh, if you booked into a gig. 
that was provided by someone who had BBX money to spend, you're turning an empty slot of your time into 5000 of BBX money. Right. Now, the only cost for you to do that is the BBX fee, which mm-hmm. is said is somewhere between 65 and 15%, depending on what account. Let's call yep. it 10% for the sake of the math. Yeah. So that, that £5,000 has cost you 500 sterling to earn. Which is less and than a bit, an and agent. A, yeah. And a bit of petrol to get from A to B. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Or or however you got there. And you so, just you just join as a member then? Do you you, yeah. you sign into the program? Yeah, yeah. So you just uh, make an application, we do all the credit checks and whatnot. because uh, the other thing that can happen is that you can also get up to a hundred thousand pounds of interest free credit line uh, to play in the system to enable you to buy before you sell. Right. So in your case, uh, instead of making the sale for five thousand, you might like to, I don't know, you had a toothache and you want to go to the dentist, the dentist says it's 1,200 quid to to correct this. So your account would go 1,200 negative. And then when you did the gig, then the 1,200 would be repaid and you'd end up with 3,800 positive balance now because the five grand credit went into your account. Right. Okay. So you think then, what did that dentist trip cost me? If it was sterling, it would cost me 1,200 quid. But because I did it through repaying my BBX money, it cost you nothing at the purchase. And... Um, and £120 to earn 1200 quid uh, when you paid it back. What does a tax man think of this, John? He loves this because you know, BBX money is equivalent to pounds sterling, one for one. So when you set up a BBX account, you set up a um, an additional bank account if you use Sage or QuickBooks or Zero or one of those. Mm-hmm. You add a new bank account, call it BBX. It reconciles with your BBX statement when you get every month. Right. Or you can view online 24-7, so the income goes into that as additional revenue falling down through your P&L into your balance sheet. When you buy something, you keep a receipt like you normally would and post it to the expense side of your existing ledger. You don't have to do anything with expenses. And it falls down through your P&L and balance sheet. So when you make a sale, if it's normally VATable and income ta- and and, and um, uh, corporations tax liable, yep. then uh, it will be DSO. Uh, and when you make a purchase, then you get a, a VAT and a corporation's tax uh, credit. Right. So the short answer is if you earn money and spend it, it'll zero itself out if it's on a business-related expense. And if it's not, you pay the tax as you normally would. Right. Okay. That's a, a, what a fantastic thing. But how, how long – so you, you got involved with this a very long time ago. Um it's something that I've, you know, heard about. There's, a, I know there are other platforms that do it, but clearly not as well as yours. Why, why is it not taken off in a in a much bigger? I mean, obviously your business is a good sized business, John. But why is everyone not involved in it? Well, that's a great question, and and I think it comes down to two reasons really. The first one is that I have a saying that people in business are not necessarily business people. Mm-hmm. So, so they're great mechanics, or they're great painters, or they're fantastic interviewers, or whatever it happens to be, but they're not great at running the other aspects of the business. And yeah. one of the things that they're not usually great in is marketing. And so, when you come across a new concept like this, they look at it. You know, I have people look me straight in the face and say, "John, yes, I've got spare capacity, uh, but I don't know where I would spend this BBX money. So I'd rather not turn an empty room into some value and then have to worry about where to spend the new money." I'd rather just leave the room empty in the first place. And, and of course, that used to surprise me, but it doesn't anymore. So, <laughs> um, you know, that type of person is uh, is 
is not helpable through our system because they simply just don't get it, even though it sounds very, very easy to get, which mm-hmm. it is. But um, that's uh, that's one of the reasons. The, the other reason is that people get tied up in their business. They get really focused and it becomes difficult to see the wood for the trees. And so when a new concept comes along, then they think, hmm, do I really want to do more work? And I know that sounds surprising, but BBX is there for entrepreneurial type businesses, people that are like-minded, that either want to gain um, a better lifestyle from running the business, get a uh, grow the business uh, in a bigger way, Mm -hmm. or to sell it for more at the end, because BBX money counts through EBITDA for sale of business purposes as well. Right. So you get some people, you know, they're running their business. They've got a lifestyle type of business. They're happy with the revenue. You know, they're making their 50 or 100 grand a year, what happens to be, and don't want to do the extra work it takes. You know, they want to spend time with their kids on, you know, three days a week or whatever it happens to be. So you won't find that sort of person on the platform. Sure. And that's that's a very different kind of choice, I guess, isn't it? I mean, it's um, certainly there is a, there's an aspect of wanting to spend time with family regardless, but uh, I don't know anybody in business who doesn't want more business. Yeah. So then it it then comes to the point where it's trust in the currency. So this is new to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like cryptocurrency, and we're not a cryptocurrency. Uh, we're a centralised uh, third-party record-keeping system like any bank. Yep. Yeah, we, know, we know the balances of every single customer in our program and all their transaction history. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we serve as, as any bank should serve as the third-party record-keeper. Uh, that not only keeps record of the money that's in your account, but actively promotes you to the other customers so that you get more sales and you get to buy stuff within a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what a true bank should be. Right. You know, whereas the existing banking systems moved off into lending money that they don't own, but that's a whole new seminar. Um, and the, all they do is give you a statement every month. There's no no proactive effort by any bank to try and win you new business or to connect you up with people that you could do business with. That's a really interesting thing you've you've touched on there because there's a lot of complaint, I guess, amongst the business community about banking and, and mainly because uh, the, the service element of what used to exist doesn't so much anymore. You know, we used to know your bank manager, you used to spend time with that person. Um, they knew your business and, you know, if you went it alone, um, they would know exactly how you worked and and be able to make a better decision based on on their their understanding of your business does bbx put the service back into the banking community then yeah absolutely you know banks generally particularly since the gfc you know 11 years ago the global financial crisis mm-hmm. you know they've been virtually anti-business you know i've got you know th- hundreds if not more uh, anecdotal uh, evidence from my customer base that tells me that things like they had used to have a credit line that was taken away without notice. Some have had their bank accounts closed for no reason other than they didn't tick a box anymore. Right. Um, none of them ever get a call from their bank manager or their customer service guy until you go into the bank on a loan and then they'll give you a loan if you don't need it and then not give you one if you do, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so, you know, with BBX, imagine walking into a branch of a bank and you said to the to the bank manager, I'd like a loan, please. I'd like it interest-free, and I'd like it interest-free forever. And instead of a loan, it's a, it's a come-and-go facility. So it's a, it's a facility that I can dip into and dip out of, and I can repay at any time. It hasn't, doesn't attract any interest if I borrow, mm-hmm. and I don't have any time limit 
uh, to repay other than when I have spare capacity and a customer from the bank that's going to that's going to be coming into my business when I have spare capacity. Oh, and can you extend that so that you can appoint a a business manager to work with me? I'll give them the details of if I ran a car rental business, I'll give them a share my diary with them. And if uh, you can ring all the customers in the bank and any time they want to rent a car, you get them to call me. That'd be a great service, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be a fantastic service. And that's exactly what we do. Where, why does when we talk about service in a business like yours, John? Why does it lack at times? Why aren't businesses more focused on helping their clients? Wow, now there's a can of worms. So um, sometimes it comes back to um, things like a complete lack of understanding of what their client looks like. They don't have a persona of an ideal client, right? You know, when I talk to people, I say, what's your persona of an ideal client? And they look at me and their eyes cross over and, and their face goes into a blank stare. Right. And they say, what do you mean? What's the persona of a client? And I say, well, you know, you must be out there marketing people uh, to people. How do you market your business? And they'll say, oh, I do Google ads. Fantastic. I do Facebook PPC. Brilliant. Uh, I go to networking events. Fantastic. Um, um, they're the main ones nowadays, social media of some kind or LinkedIn, which is a very uh, popular one. And I say, well, what sort of person are you looking for? You know, uh, James, you're a speaker. You know, where's, you'll know what your type of client. I know because I've met you, you will know. But 99% of people, when I ask them those questions, they haven't got the foggiest idea as to what their great customer looks like. Right. Not only to what do they look like in terms of what size they are, what geography you might do, what type of uh, business it is, getting back to the person because how many times do you do business with people and you think god how did i end up doing business with this person they're painful <laughs> yeah yeah right and when you when you look through your your uh, i use the 80 20 rule all the time uh, the pareto principle mm-hmm. for those that are unfamiliar with that um a great book called by richard kosh k-o-c-h on that thing called the 80 20 uh, principle mm-hmm. um uh which says things like uh, that 80% of my revenue will come from the top 20% of my customers. Yes. And when I look at those, and if I love doing business with every single customer, then I've got a great business, haven't yeah. I? I enjoy coming to work. 80% of the problem customers will come from 20% of the clients, and some of those will be also in the bottom 80% of people that don't deliver you revenue. Yeah. So... If 80% of the problems come from 20% of the clients and 80% of them are not great clients, why don't you cull them? You won't lose too much. There's an example. Right. Well, I was talking about this uh, on the podcast recently, actually, and I, I, talk, well, I talk about it quite a bit about sacking clients and people look at me as if I'm absolutely crazy. And I say, you know, those clients that you, when they ring up, you you, you kind of, you, they, they, your day drops, you know, you think, oh God, here we go again. Um, why are you working with them? And they say, oh, because they pay us. Could you not use that time much more effectively on the guys you love to work with? Would that not be a better use of your your time? Would that not give a greater service to those people? And would they not talk about you more? Oh, yeah, maybe they would. So 100%. And the big marketing companies say on feedback, which is, again, another topic, hardly any business ever gets feedback from their customers, but if you worked on the feedback customers that give you a 9 or a 10 out of 10 rating, uh, they're the ones that are great advocates for you. Then then they're the ones that you try and build more of those and get rid of the ones that are only giving you up to 7 uh, for whatever reason. 
you know, you've got a chance to pick your game up. But if you do that and they're still only giving you a seven, then I'd get rid of them. What What's it like? I mean, you work all over the world. Does it does that vary? Does the the quality of service and the and within businesses that you work with vary by country, or how does it go? If I had to look at rating customer service in Australia, in uh, the USA, Canada, Singapore, uh, New Zealand, um, is in a different class to the to the some of the other countries that I work in. Right. I'll give you a quick example. I came here to the UK. Uh, and I was in a head office in London, and I was my first day. And I walked outside, and I went to go you know, down the high street in Richmond. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that know Richmond, lovely place. And I'm walking halfway down, and there's a queue coming out of McDonald's. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what's going on in there. So I, I look, and then I go down to the door and open it up, and there, sure enough, there's a queue going right up to the to the counter. And I said to the guy in the queue at the door, I said, uh, "What's going on, mate?" And he said. It's McDonald's. It's lunchtime, <laughs> and I thought, really? If you if if you had a queue going out the door in McDonald's in Australia or the US, they'd throw stones at you, <laughs> you know. And and when I was looking at it, instead of uh, people uh, having different um, different tills and everybody queuing up, they were waiting in one file and then feeding off to a queue. Yeah. And when you get the person at the head of the queue who's not concentrating. There's a person that's in the in the uh, customer section waving their hand saying, next customer, please, and the line's not moving. Mm. Whereas if you've got six stations and there's a line between each one of them, things just move a lot faster. There's just such a dumb example. And I, and I was really surprised because McDonald's are very, very, well, everybody, it's the, it's the customer service ethos, is it? You know, you know, if you go to McDonald's in the UK, it should be the same as if you were in Afghanistan. Well, it's a very astute business, isn't it? Absolutely, but even a business like that had a difference here in the UK. Why? So there's just a silly example. Why is that? You, you would know. I think maybe it's a cultural thing. People love to queue in the UK. <laughs> more, more than three people start a conversation, and then a queue starts behind them. And then you ask the sixth person in the queue what's going on, and they've got no idea. Right. They just saw a queue and joined it. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm being flippant, yeah, yeah. but. But uh, you, you know it's, what? It's uh, uh, it, it drives me crazy. Um, and I look at that, and I think, and I hear that story from you, and I think, if that was my franchise, because McDonald's franchise is a very expensive franchise. If that was my franchise, I would lose my mind. We went to. Uh, I took my my boy out to to a Nando's uh, this week because it was going back to school. Um, and we queued at the door and we were told it'd be ten fifteen minutes for a table. And I looked inside and it was busy. And I thought, okay, fair enough. Um, 45 minutes later, we got something to eat. And that wasn't because it was busy, because by the time we got a table, it wasn't busy. That was because there was no supervision of staff. There was a guy wandering around trying to spend his whole day doing nothing. There were tables covered in old food and, you know, dirty dishes. There was food stacked up at the, uh, at the pass. And there was one girl on the till um, taking orders. You know, the whole thing was, was there was such an enormous bottleneck and that's pretty mm. similar to what you're saying. But actually, I think there's a there's a service level issue based on supervision and running of the business. Um, by, you know. Yeah, well, and we, we, we run it counter at BBX. You know, we operate in 14 countries and the people that own it and run it, we know exactly how it all works. Mm-hmm. But when it dissipates down the line of management, you know, like anything else, if we have a 1,000 managers... We know that the top 200 are going to be the best ones by a long way. Yeah. 
And so uh, if you happen to visit a store that's run by manager number 1000, you're not going to get the same service, even though it's run following the same manual as customer service uh, manager number one. But it should be, shouldn't it? Not all people are equal. That's the love of being in this world today. You know, if everybody's equal, we'd have left the EU three years ago. But um, that's another story. But uh, you, you mentioned kind of words, Joe. That's a, that's a giant one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But people have different opinions. People have different skill levels. People have different motivation levels. People have different desire levels. And so, when you mix that up all into a big mixing bowl and put it in and, and call them a manager. You, you do get different managers of different qualities. When you, you talk about growing businesses and, um, you know, one of the, the big issues for any growing business is how do you scale that effectively and keep the quality of your business the same? Is there a, is yep. there a magic bullet or is there a secret? There's no magic bullet, but the start off is to have a, a system. We use a system called Signavio, which is um, – which is a, a, a formatting system that holds all your uh, how-to-do instructions all on an online portal. Right. So if you're starting as an administrator and you want to issue a line of credit, there's a step-by-step instruction that you followed using that process. If you're a salesperson, it takes you through what our sales process track looks like to deliver a conceptual sale to a new mm-hmm. customer. If you're an account manager, it tells you how to set up a new account, install them properly, step by step, all of the road. Okay. So every it's like a manual for your car, yeah. but it's all online and it's all documented. You know, it's an it's an enormous job initially, but once you've got it done, it, you know, you have your own ops manual that's interactive, mm-hmm. that's changeable, it's online. It's not like the old ones that just sat in a yeah. cupboard. Yeah, and I guess you can update it quickly that way as well. But then, how do mm. you? Is there room for individuality when you've got a system like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we use straw polling a lot. So if someone's doing a 1,000 actions, we go in and look at 20, and that'll that'll give us a, a good flavour for the whole lot without having to inspect all 1,000. Uh, and we have a good saying. It's called inspect what you expect. Right. And so the management team, you know, if they expect a certain uh, KPI to be performed, then they go into their team, straw poll the KPI and make sure by inspection that your expectation is, is being made. Right. Whereas a lot of managers think, you know, Mary or Joe seems to be doing okay. The numbers are average and no one ever looks in depth as to what Mary and Joe have been doing. Whereas I'd argue that, you know, if you want to inspect what you expect, you should go and do a straw poll of their KPI activities and find out areas where that you could help them by extra training or whatnot, motivation, uh, to lift the game so that they lift their um, lift their percentages. And every one of our account managers globally, every one of our salespeople globally is all measured on a leaderboard chart so we know where everybody is any second of any day. So things like that, you know, measure. So the other thing is you get self-measurement. Mm-hmm. So if I'm Mary and I'm running number 900 out of 1,000, then most Marys with any go in her, in them would want to be not number 100. They'd want to be, uh, you know, up on the Lord leaderboard to be number sure. one, aspiring okay. to. And, of course, when you have teams, because everywhere we operate, we have offices and each office can have, you know, quite a few team members mm-hmm. in it, then then the first point of call is everybody, everybody that really wants to perform well wants to be the number one in their team. Yeah. And, and then the number one in their teams want to be number one in their regions. And then number one in the regions wants to be number one nationally. And then number one nationally wants to be number one internationally. 
So we've got a very competitive environment here. Not like the old ba- not like the old banking sector where, you know, they could just flog your loans to people that didn't qualify, but this is in, on absolute measurable performance. Right. Okay. And I, I get how that works in a sales environment because salespeople are competitive by nature, or the, the good ones are. Does that does that kind of measurement and straw polling system work in other businesses that aren't sales businesses? You tell me one business that's not a sales I business. I you might say that. <laughs> John, it's been really great chatting with you, um, and I would love it if you could just give us, before we go, for our listeners, your one big idea, your big thing, your golden nugget, the one thing that they could do in their business today to make their business great for today and for the years to come. What would that be? My number one, if I had to choose, would be, and I'll use this as an example. I went to a lovely restaurant recently for the first Mm -hmm. time, and it was about uh, a 400-seater restaurant at a nice outdoor area with a pizza oven. The sun was shining, so it had an outdoor area, had an indoor area as well. The staff greeted you lovely. Mm -hmm. The menu was great. The service was fantastic. The ambience of the place by the river with the trees and the birds and the ducks going past, everything was perfect. But there were three things oh. missing. The, f- the first one was that that, and it wasn't 100% mm-hmm. busy. Maybe it had 50% occupancy on this glorious day. So the first thing that was, so you'd think all those things put together would add up to really, really successful business, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. So the first thing that didn't happen is that they didn't do any data capture as to my information by the time I'd left the building. Right. So they didn't have they didn't have my email address. They didn't have my name. They didn't have my date of birth, so that they could email email me on my birthday month before and invite me back. So they didn't have any data mm-hmm. capture. The second the second thing that they uh, hadn't done is that they didn't give me a reason to come back again. So on my way out, they didn't give me a voucher saying, John, come back and book a main meal, and for every main meal, we'll give you a glass of wine, whatever it happened to be. So an invitation to return. In sales parlance, that's a call to action. So there was none of that uh, in existence. And then the third thing is that they didn't ask me, and this is one thing that uh, I'd really implore people to do, is ask what motivated me to walk into that restaurant Mm -hmm. today? Not why did I come, not was the food great, not anything else, but what motive, What was my motivation? And my motivation could have been that my wife liked the little pretty flower boxes outside. Mm-hmm. My motivation could be I was driving past and I saw the sign. My motivation could have been I heard it on the new, on the the read it in the newspaper, I heard it on the radio. Uh, my motivation is a friend told me it was a great new place. So if they can understand what motivates me to walk in there, then they can play on those motivations to repeat not just with me but other people because if it's my motivation, there's a good chance other people will have that same motivation. So if you capture those mm-hmm. three things, put it together, I'm talking about a restaurant here but it could apply yep. to any business, that, you know, and think yourself, when was the last time a business that you did business with for the very first time did those three things? Well, there I can actually but those businesses are packed. Um, and there's a, there's I rest a good my case. reason for it. John, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Okay, welcome, and I hope, uh, hope people enjoyed it. And uh, if there's any questions at any time, uh, they can get in contact through James. He has all my contact details. Well, I'll stick those in the, in the, uh, the notes section on the, on the podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show. 
and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.